Good morning, good evening, good night, who cares? Hello, welcome to the QTR Podcast. How are you guys? Everybody having a good day? Great. Anyways, this podcast, like all my podcasts, is brought to you by my patrons, who are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I'm going to shout them out, and I'm going to give you the two rules for the podcast, and then we're going to be well on our way with my interview with my good man, Dr. Mark Jafant, whatever the fuck his name is. I just fucked it up already. Ten seconds into the podcast. Hello, Dr. Mark J. Defont is what I was trying to say. Ooh, I just can't hold back my anticipation. I think that's what the problem is. Like a dog on... I don't know. <laughs> oh, this isn't going to go well today. First and foremost, I want to shout out my exclusive gold and silver bullion providers over at JM Bullion. I love these guys. It is the only place where I buy my gold and silver bullion. They have been in business for a decade now. They've done over $3 billion in sales and have amassed quite a reputation for themselves. They turn around my orders very quickly. That's why I like them. I order something today. Oftentimes on the same day, I get an email that it's already been turned around and shipped. And I love that. They have great inventory, they're nice people to speak to, and QTR podcast listeners have their own sales reps, so if you don't want to deal with going online and you'd rather have a more personalized touch to your gold and silver bullion purchases, you can email Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com, or you can use the link to JM Bullion in my podcast description. Love the guys at JM Bullion. If you're a gold and silver bug, it is a great place to buy Bullion. This podcast also brought to you by my friend George Gammon over at the Rebel Capitalist Pro platform. George Gammon, Chris McIntosh, and Lynn Alden have come together to create a wonderful, probably one of the most enriching forums to talk about macro uh, on the web right now. If you're from the Austrian school and you look at the macro economy the same way that uh, we do on this podcast, and you want to go a little bit more in depth, there really isn't a better place to get information and also. They do a live Q&A, all three of them, I think they each do one per week. So you get access to them and you get a chance to ask whatever questions you want. And in between the Q&As, the forum that they have over there is very enriching. I'm on it several times a week. Uh, I love the Rebel Capitalist Pro platform, so check out my friend George Gammon over there. His link is in the podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by those household names... As Charlie wants me to say, the household name, Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus. <clears throat> if they're a household name in your household, you probably already know how kick-ass the Steam Room is. The Steam Room is a wonderful piece of software that helps you track unusual options activity and where big money is going in the illiquid options market, which many times can help you read the tape and read the psychology of the markets on a daily basis. This obviously can be very lucrative. This is the type of service that, if you don't use it like a herb, can pay for itself. Uh, Lucci and Wall Street Jesus are doing a 30-day free trial to the Steam Room. So if you want to sign up, just click through the link in my podcast description. If you're a day trader, you're looking at something like trading options, or you just want a little bit more visibility onto how the market's moving, a tool like this, and these were the first guys to really track unusual options activity, a tool like this is about as good as it gets. On top of that, I know these guys, and I'm friendly with them, and they're honest people, so I'm not directing you to uh, you know, JT Marlin, some bucket shop out on Long Island. Uh, I actually trust these guys, and I know them quite well, so happy to recommend Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus you can get in touch with them. Link is in my podcast description. Let them know that QTR sent you. This podcast also brought to you by The Trader's Path. 
which is one of my favorite investing and day trading communities. So if you're looking to surround yourself with a group of people to bounce ideas off of, they give you daily watch lists. They give you daily screens. There's investor education. They trade all different types of markets, red, green, up, down, and sideways. Pete Hedgetus, another great guy that runs the trader's path. Happy to give him a shout out. And his link is also in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Corvus Gold at Traders for a Cause. Ken R., Chris Bede, Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, my buddy Jay Mintzmeyer, my buddy Russ Valenti, and Crichton Titus. I also want to shout out some of my newest patrons, some people that have supported the podcast recently, like Daniel Roby, Brenton Woods, thank you, my friend. Matthew Allen, what's up, man? I see you. Chris H. and William Herbert, thank you. Bill Brewster, Lucas Dara, thank you so much. And some people that have been with me for a while that I want to shout out, like Louis J. Desi Jr., what's up? I still see you. My friend Andrew Marsh checking in from overseas. It looks like England, based on your currency preference, but I'm not an expert. How about Michael J.? What's up, man? Vertical spread. Benjamin White, thank you so much for your continued support. Finally, this podcast has a three-drink minimum, and nothing that I ever say on this podcast should be construed as investment advice or life advice. Seek out a personal financial advisor if you need that, or a therapist if you need the other one. Finally, bottoms up. Let's get started. I think I may have forgot some shit. Who cares? I want to get going. I got Mark DeFont on the line. Really happy to have Mark back. He is a professor of geology and geochemistry at the University of South Florida. Before he became involved in research related to the misuse or misunderstanding of science by society, he specialized in the study of volcanoes. Mark DeFont, what's going on, brother? How are you? It's so nice to have you back. Hey, Chris. It's good to be back. Always enjoy talking to you. I truncated your biography. It was too long, and I'm feeling lazy. But you, uh, oh, there's links. I'm glad in the- you get. I get tired of hearing. <laughs> <laughs> there's links in the podcast description about your book, uh, Voyage of Discovery, that you wrote, and certainly we've talked before many times, and people can check out those conversations if they'd like. But I was just looking back, Mark, and we haven't spoken since October of last year. Oh, has it been that long? Wow. That's what I said, too. It has been a while, hasn't it? Anything new? Well, anything new in the world since October of 2020? Uh, well, uh, I wish I could tell you there is. I've just been busy working on the second edition of the book, so not much to tell on that front. Well, the reason I reached out to you is, first and foremost, because I saw that your Twitter account was gone one day. I went to go look you up. Usually I was sending you direct messages, and that's how we were communicating, and I noticed that uh, your Twitter account was gone, and I was wondering if there was a story behind that or, or what, because as my listeners already know, Mark, you hold uh, you hold some opinions that are, are quite naughty according to the, uh, according to the mainstream <laughs> media. Yeah, I do. I, um, I honestly, I... I did quit Twitter for a reason. I quit Facebook for a reason. Um, gee, I, I really liked my Facebook account, and I had a lot of followers, thanks to you, on Twitter. Um, our our conversations on here uh, seem to get me more all the time, but I just can't abide by um, somebody that tries to uh, take away 
my freedom and our freedom of speech. And uh, Twitter not only is doing that, they admit to doing it, that they admit to um, sanctioning a certain views and viewpoints. And uh, I recognize fully, um, and this has been a big argument made by um, a lot of people that don't see things my way, but uh, the argument has been that these these companies uh, uh, are private companies and well I mean private in the sense that the government they're not run by the government and so therefore uh, they have the right to, to do whatever they want but that's not exactly true uh, they're really open forums and they have a lot of advantages by uh, or and from the government uh, to uh, protect them against people suing them. For example, uh, if I put up something that's copyrighted on Twitter, uh, they can't be sued. Uh, I can be sued, but they can't be sued. So they're protected in many, many ways. And so I, I, I believe firmly that if you're going to be uh, protected that way, uh, then you have a duty uh, to allow people to express their opinions uh, freely. I am a huge supporter of freedom of speech. I'm a huge supporter of FIRE, uh, which is um, kind of taken the place of the ACLU. Uh, I, I don't know if you know this, Chris, or not, but the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, which used to be a strong defender of freedom of speech, has now caved into the pressures of the radical left and is backed off of, if you can believe it, um, our civil liberty to speak freely. And they now are uh, in favor of censoring hate, hate speech. Look, nobody likes hate speech. At least most people don't like hate speech. I don't like hate speech. But um, I want to find out how my enemies think. I want to know how they're thinking. I don't want them silenced to, uh, to talk, uh, you know, behind our backs and... Uh, and uh, feel like um, their ideas have to be buried, even even the worst of them. Uh, Farrakhan is a uh, Farrakhan is a good example of that. This is a man of hate, uh, but uh, we allow him to speak freely. Uh, my contention is that we allow him to speak freely uh, because he's not on the hit list of people that. Uh, supposedly are doing uh, hate speech, but uh, I I really feel like uh, we need to rethink this whole uh, speech thing. Uh, people are so sensitive in society today that they allow words to upset them, and that worries me. Uh, when did we ever become so sensitive that humor we? Well, I mean. Sometimes I think my students have lost their their sense of humor about everything. Everything is so serious anymore. Um, yeah, you kind of caught me off guard with this one. Uh, maybe I've said too much, Chris. Well, and but, your students are probably, you know, part of a faction of people in the country that have the least to complain about, right? If they're at a good institution like University of South Florida, and they're there. You know, things aren't probably going all that bad for them. So the notion that, you know, this is a point in their lives where they should be really starting some shit as it comes to being able to exercise their free speech as much as they'd like and where they should be really mixing it up in terms of 
tossing around ideas and and really were they I mean arguably I think at 20 or 25 I was way more uh willing to kind of take abuse than I than I am now at closer to 40 <laughs> years old and I think that you know the comfort is something that I I don't know I feel like if you're that young and you've been couched that things need to be that comfortable for you that early on that you can't even listen to somebody else's ideas, even if you hate them. Uh, I think there's a big problem there. Well, we couldn't agree more there. Uh, you know, I I know a lot of comedians, uh, black, white, green uh, comedians, they refuse to go on college campuses now because uh, our students are so sensitive and uh, you know humor is is about uh, finding things um, that how, how would I say that without push the envelope here well heck yeah uh, f- finding humor in our our, our faults um, and if I'm willing to make fun of myself, uh, what the heck? Uh, I should be. Uh, we should all be willing to have someone uh, make fun of us. Good Lord, it's a minefield out there. If you start kidding around and joking, uh, there's no telling uh, what you can run into. <laughs> uh, I just found out a, a professor. Uh, well, I, I won't get into the details. Oh, just but, get into the details. They are they are censoring professors, and uh, it's too bad. I'll I'll, I'll read you um, something that I uh, got yesterday. Uh, are you familiar with uh, the magazine We Yet? No, I'm not. It's uh, they've been out uh, spoken about many things. Uh, and here's something. Uh, I don't know if you know who Lawrence Cross is. He's a, a very He's well known. He's an astrophysicist, known. right? Yes. Uh huh. And uh, he wrote an article for oh, We at the other day, and he was talking about uh, a professor at uh, I think it was the Michigan, uh, uh, or I should say, Michigan Tech, which I don't know if you know it or not. Michigan Tech's in the practically the middle of Siberia up in the northern peninsula of Michigan. So maybe he doesn't have a lot of things going on up there, but he had some really cool things to say. I'm just sitting here, you know, scanning through the article to find uh, what he said. But uh, if you give me a second, we can go on and talk about some other things, and I'll have found it by then. Sure, take your Uh, time. I just think that... You know, I think you're talking about comedians having an issue coming on campus due to some of these issues. And that's, you know, that's a fun kind of jovial example. But I think a way more important example is the Socratic method and the dialogue that's needed, not just in science, but when examining any kind of ideas. If we're going to push the envelope further and we're going to continue to really expand the boundaries of all types of uh, disciplines. If we're going to evolve as human beings, like the left 
you know, supposedly claims that they want us to. I mean, with all these uh, all these postmodern looks at everything. If if we're going to evolve and we're going to continue to spearhead into new ground in whatever discipline, whether it's science, whether it's philosophy, how do we do that without having a, you know, without beginning by sifting through all different types of ideas, all different types of opinions? We have to be we have to be able to get everything out on the table at first in order to have any type of dialogue or like I said any type of Socratic method where we can then start to kind of whittle away at what you know what the best practices of, of whatever it is that we're talking about will eventually be or whatever the new frontier of of whatever so free speech is necessary not just to have a good time but it's also important for us to evolve for us to evolve our thinking to to evolve as a as a race right oh absolutely and and of course what disturbs me the most is that when you start uh censoring what science can do well i mean that's to me that's a sacrilege being a scientist i mean let's let's think about what science has been able to do I mean, they survived the censoring by uh, the the Roman Catholic Church. Um, there were some very brave men, Galileo being one of them, who was put under house arrest for the whole last part of his life um, for speaking out, uh, used science to argue against some of the tenets of the church. Uh, you know, I, I think we would be censoring Galileo and people like Galileo today. Let me just read you this by uh, Krauss. I found it, if that's okay. Sure. It's just a brief little thing. Uh, Krauss says, most recently, Jeffrey Burrell, an associate professor of electrical and computer engineering. So he's no slouch. It's a tough field. At Michigan Tech University, bravely wrote an open letter demanding an apology for what he called the racist sentiments expressed in his university Senate resolution, which condemned white supremacy and racially motivated intolerance at his university. He argued that these sentiments constituted a hostile work environment for white male scientists like himself and that he had seen no signs of discrimination against women and people of color in his 28 years at the university. Instead, he argued that I, as a white male, have been systematically um, discriminated against for 40 years. He referred to the fact that when he was hired, there were two job openings, one of which was available to anyone and one of which was uh, only open to women. Since only a small percentage of the candidates were women, he argued that this hiring was clearly discriminatory. Needless to say, Burl now faces a petition demanding he be fired. I have, I have, I suspect anyway, um, like many professors around the country that have spoken up, that Burl will have a very hard time keeping his job. Uh, we're seeing professors fired left and right. And, you know, uh, universities used to be the bastions of freedom of speech. Right. This is where we expected people to stand up and say, hey, look, uh, the, the, the king is wearing no clothes. Uh, but I uh, have joined a, a whole large number of professors that are uh, deathly afraid in many respects to speak out. Uh, even though uh, we keep seeing um, these ridiculous kinds of things 
being passed uh, were supposed to, for example, assume that uh, 70% of males in uh, computer programming must mean that we're actively discriminating against women. And uh, that that goes against everything uh, the research is telling us, and yet that research is being silenced. Um, yeah, it's like it's, it, it's getting the cart in front of the horse. Yeah, is, this whole is, is idea is, of you know, uh, the, the idea that the idea that if given the opportunity, all men and all women and all people of all different colors would all land equitably in all different industries is just idiocy. You know, you're you're starting with uh, I don't know what it, what they call it, like uh, equanimity, like uh, entropy, kind of. You're, you're starting with like the ideal. Yep. Uh, it, you know, everybody gets an equal slice of everything at all times, and you're working backwards from there. And that's just not how social and behavioral and and you know psychological hierarchies form, right? This is the shit that Jordan Peterson talks about all the time. You know, he talks about he, he talks about Correct. just how that's not natural. You know, given the choice, people that are biologically different are going to drift towards different industries. It's just natural, right? Well, yes, and there, there are a lot of women economists uh, at uh, at prestigious universities, uh, Yale and uh, Harvard, uh, for example, come to mind. Uh, to uh, women economists, they're they're finding that that women have different strengths than men. It uh, doesn't mean that women are inferior to men or men are superior to women. Uh, it's just that uh, women uh, tend to, to be uh, better at uh, verbal, not necessarily worse in programming than men. And as a as a result, they tend to go into fields. Um, that are not as technical. Uh, does that mean that we uh, somehow uh, need to push women uh, into uh, these fields? We say, see the same thing uh, with men in nursing. Uh, gosh, you got me started on this one, but I'll go ahead and finish it. Uh, one of the things that Sweden has found uh, is of course they're trying to have exactly the same number of women and, and men in every field. So another area they're finding trouble uh, uh, getting uh, the right numbers is in nursing. Well, you know, some men are uh, good at uh, taking care and helping uh, people, but they're not. Um, it's not necessarily that 50% of men are, are as maternal as women are. And, uh, gee, just about every study you look to uh, shows that women are uh, much more uh, maternal than men. Um, gosh, that's almost the definition of maternal. Uh, they, uh, they have raised children for hundreds of thousands of years, uh, and evolutionary psychology shows us quite clearly uh, that women have uh, different uh, tastes than men. Um, women are very good at expressing themselves. Some of our best writers in America today are women. And um, yet we, we want to tell them, oh, don't go into those, uh, those fields. Uh, uh, go now into uh, computer coding and, uh, and uh, get into physics. And uh, it's, it's almost like um, 
Well, I, I know for a fact evolutionary psychology, they're, they're trying to stifle the results, and, and it's not uh, discriminatory in any way towards men or women. It's just simply telling us uh, what evolution has done to make men and women different. We don't have to use that information if we don't want to. Um, if w women decide tomorrow uh, to um, to go out and work and marry men that stay home and take care of the children, eventually uh, we'll have um, men being selected for their uh, maternal instincts uh, over uh, women, and we'll have a switch. But uh, uh, should men uh, go into nursing because we uh, we want into nursing even though women make better nurses and uh, the same should be said in reverse about all the fields how about giving women um, some credit for their abilities to choose what they want seems to me now we're in an ominous state where, where we're doing just the opposite of what the women's uh, movement wanted to do and that is give the right uh, of women to choose uh, what field they want to go into uh, certainly, in my days as a scientist, I have uh, never seen any discrimination against women. In fact, it's more like uh, what uh, Jeffrey Burrell is talking about here. It's always been, you have to hire a woman for this position, uh, e even in cases where uh, we had more qualified males. I don't know if that's the way we want to continue going. And this has been happening. Gosh, this has been happening since I first got on the university campus in the 1980s. Well, and it's like it's almost like people don't acknowledge that you can potentially overshoot the mark. And that's I don't know. That's what it feels like when I read this article here that I pulled up uh, this morning about Columbia University, who's now having six graduation ceremonies, <laughs> yes. six graduation ceremonies for students according to their race and other aspects of how they identify. <laughs> you know, to me, that just sounds like the opposite of what it is that we're trying to do, right? I mean, the fight in in the, the, the you know, the 50s and the 60s and the 70s was... You know, get everybody on level footing, get everybody on a on a level playing field and, and get everybody together, regardless of, you know, race and color and creed and sexual orientation and gender and, you know, equality. Right. Like, wasn't the wasn't the idea equality? And now this idea that we need to do six different graduation ceremonies, the New York City Schools website details graduation ceremonies for Native, Asian, Latinx, and Black students taking place for Columbia College, Columbia Engineering, General Studies, and Bernard College at the end of April. Another dubbed FLI graduation is for first-generation and or low-income community. The school also hosts a lavender graduation for the LGBTIAQ plus community. I mean, at this point, can't we just say everybody gets to graduate together? Or do we just keep fucking adding letters? L-G-B-T-I-A-Q plus. Well, and let's imagine? just say everybody. Uh, let's, can, you know, F-L-I, Native, Asian, Latinx. Okay, like, yo, everybody loves one another here at Columbia. We're so stoked that everybody's at our school, that you guys have chose this. We look forward to putting forth 
the greatest thinkers the earth has ever seen with this graduating class and welcoming in a diverse graduating class of other wonderful thinkers who are going to shape human history as we know it. Happy to have you all graduate together. Go forth and kick ass. Isn't that a quality? Instead of being like, ah, Mark DeFont's got fucking gray hair. Let's set him over here on the side. And this guy identifies as this. And this girl says that she only drives purple cars. So we got to put her on the side. We don't want to offend anybody. It's like, what the hell is going on? I mean, it just seems like we're going backwards. Well, I do know that Martin Luther King would be rolling in his grave if he read uh, what you just read. Yes, uh, if you listen to King, uh, he wanted equality, uh, equality for all. And, uh, gee, that, that used to be, uh, I thought, everyone's goal. Uh, but uh, now, um, really, I, I think that uh, – Straight white males are the most hated people on the planet, and nobody wants to graduate with one of them. <laughs> and it's 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 too bad. I uh, I really really hate to see this. It's it's it used to be desegregation. Now it seems to be segregation. Right. I only want to be around people that look and act uh, the way I do. That's what um, people seem to be saying now. Uh, America, and uh, God forbid that I create a microaggression, but America uh, used to be a melting pot. By the way, did you know that's a microaggression? So I <coughs> I don't probably, even know what that means. Uh, uh, well, a microaggression is um, uh, supposedly uh, a way you can uh, offend. Uh, actually, it's a racist statement um, that um, means that uh, you're 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 a racist and you don't even know you're a racist oh. so uh, th things like america is a melting plot uh pot, pot uh, we want to hire the uh most meritorious that's a microaggression um some how come uh, it's only bad I, things that you don't know you are like nobody's ever telling me like oh you're a millionaire and you don't know it it's like oh that would be nice sure. you know it's like always like oh, sure. you're a piece of shit and you don't even know it it's like fuck Shit, well, you've got good? to keep the <laughs> you've got to keep the narrative going, Chris, don't you? I don't know. This this has been uh, I I personally think that that all of this has been set up to keep a narrative going uh, until uh, you know whatever it takes. The people that they want subjugated are going to be subjugated, and. Uh, at least that's the way it seems to me. So anything that that you know they can possibly think of uh, to skewer us is going to happen. Can I mean? Can you imagine me uh, somehow uh, being racist because I'm saying that uh, we should choose the most meritorious for jobs? That uh, we should base it on our abilities. I mean, we are competing with the Chinese. Ultimately, you're an economist. Uh, certainly, uh, <laughs> I'm not an economist. I play one on well, a podcast. Well, okay, but the the point, whatever the the point is, still that uh, America has forgotten that nature is competition. Right. America Correct. has forgotten uh, that the world is a competitive place, and that uh, we all have differences. Some of those differences can make us money. 
And some of those differences uh, can potentially hurt us if we use them in the wrong way. So uh, it used to be uh, work hard and uh, you'll get somewhere. Uh, today it, it just seems to be uh, I'm this way and you need to hire me because I'm this way. So we're hiring on the wrong basis. And I bet you the Chinese are loving this. Well, I think we would really do well to embrace understanding these you know, natural laws and our evolutionary psychology and all the things that are innate to us that are, you know, instinctual, that are wired in our DNA that go back, you know, hundreds of thousands of years and and, and understanding those things and, and realizing that to some degree, you know, while we have a social construct on top of that and we want to we want to be, um, you know, like you said, we want to have equality of opportunity as far as it relates to uh you know, like you say, choosing the most meritorious person, regardless of whether they're what race they are or what gender they are. Um, you know, I think we would be far better off realizing that at some point, like, because those those are laws that just supersede no matter how much bullshit we try to pile on top of them. And I'm not saying that, that that's a good thing or a bad thing and that, you know, that relying on our instincts or is going to going to lead us to these great outcomes or terrible outcomes i'm not saying either one of those but i'm saying we we have to be mindful that you know that that's a very deep-seated uh stream that kind of runs through all of us and it, the correct thing to do would be to be mindful of that and to be secure with it and not to be insecure about it because it's like the economy. I'm always talking about free markets, right? Markets are going to do whatever the market ultimately decides. No matter how much shit central banks layer on top of a free market, and no matter how out of whack they push you know, the stock market or housing prices or interest rates, eventually the market, the free market always snaps back and corrects it. And that's just due to these deep underlying natural laws of economics. And similarly, there are deep underlying natural laws of behavior and, and social hierarchies and, and psychology that I think that if we just think about that and we understand that, that would put us in a very secure spot where we can affect change and also have the wherewithal to be wary of when we might be doing more harm than good. And I think that we do a lot of good in trying to affect change and, and in trying to, you know, we certainly have good intentions, I think. And we've done a lot for equality and we continue to do a lot for equality. But how will we know when we get to where we want to be if we're not mindful of the potential negative consequences of overdoing it. We can't have this mindset. We just go. We got to just go, 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 and there's never going to be any negative repercussions, right? Because with anything, you can do too much. Well, nobody seems to be thinking much about negative repercussions. And by the way, I agree with everything you said. The you you mention uh, you mentioned s social systems and society. I, I I think we've lost our minds. I mean. It, <laughs> I can I can remember, I can remember the day when when um, you know I, I'm I'm too young to actually remember McCarthy and McCarthyism, but I was just watching a movie the uh, other night uh, about Earl uh, 
I think it was Earl Morrow, the not Earl Morrow, um, Maurice. No, it, it was a famous reporter, and I've forgotten his name, but he took on McCarthy at CBS. And it, it was interesting from the standpoint that uh, McCarthy, of course, was accusing uh, many uh, famous people of, of being communists. And, you know, it struck me how similar uh, what McCarthy uh, did in the 50s is happening now. Everyone is using uh, racism and uh, the fear that people have of being uh, called a racist to silence uh, things that they, they don't want others to hear. So um, if you're at uh, Michigan Tech and, and you say that you've been discriminated against and you're white, uh, I'm, I am sure uh, he's going to be called a racist, even though, you know, like me, he may have marched uh, for... Uh, uh, the the freedom uh, of minorities uh, way back in the 60s, which by the way I did. I was uh, had at my foot in a cast because I broke an ankle and uh, was out there on crutches uh, marching uh, against the war in Vietnam and for uh, uh, better treatment of blacks. And yet uh, those things seem to be meaningless today. Uh, if if you're white, you're you're a, and I've heard people say it. If you're white, you're a white supremacist. Period. No doubts about it. I'm sorry to see uh, that the color of my skin uh, is being used uh, to judge me when ultimately that is the definition of racism. Well, let's turn things to uh, a positive angle and tell me what you think. Uh, you know, over the last ten. 20 years we've done right and tell me uh tell me what strides you think we've made that have been meaningful and have and have helped uh progress in terms of uh, equality well why uh, i think uh, this is getting me into more dangerous territory good uh i'm well, you know, just think about it. If we be... both get banned from social media and we both get banned from podcasts, then we have a lot more free time on our hands. You know? Oh well, yeah, I uh, I just don't want to, uh, um, in the long run, uh, hurt my children, and Good uh, they're they're vulnerable. And I, so I, I'll be honest with you. I I have to curb what I say, and I I, to be honest with you. I think things have become worse, uh, not because uh, things are worse. I think it's because uh, the left, radical left, not the left, but the radical left has uh, basically taken over our universities and uh, the power structure in our universities. Uh, I don't know if you know what critical theory is, but um, this this nonsense has... um, made everyone um, believe uh, that uh, somehow our society is out to get everyone except white people and straight males and um, women uh, are uh, also a a target and that that seems to me that that we're going in, in a really bad direction we're 
I, I thought back in the 90s when a lot of this was happening that it would play itself out by 2020 and we'd be looking back with some humor at uh, some of the crazy stuff that was being done. And now, I mean, I thought that was crazy, but now it's just gone insane. Well, and now we're talking about communism. We're talking about making this country a, a basically a communist institution when – I mean, they they call it a democratic socialism, but that's about as communistic as as one can get. And 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 I know you know more about this subject than I do, but I mean, we we have uh, thousands of failed experiments to tell us that socialism doesn't work. And these people that claim that Sweden and Norway and Finland um, are socialist countries have no idea what what socialism really is. Um, and somehow that the socialism that's existed in Cuba and Venezuela are the way they are because we made them that way. Well, this is utter nonsense. Uh, what happens in socialism is that you need a centralized government. You need a government that controls everything in order to have uh, people uh, doing what they're supposed to do. And when you have centralized governments, it makes it very easy for uh, one person or a small group of people to take over that country. And we've seen that in Venezuela, Cuba, we've seen it in North Korea, we've seen it, it used to be in the USSR, it used to be in China. And now what's happening? The USSR and China, well, USSR no longer exists. Russia and China are trying to move towards more free uh, trade and capitalism. And we t tend to be moving the opposite direction towards uh, more of a communist uh, system. And when you when you take uh, a, c a communist system and you uh, you demand uh, equality for everyone, well, we all know uh, that we're all not equal. I mean, is there anybody out there that thinks that you know everyone is born with uh, the same? Abilities. I mean, even twins are, are, have different abilities, right. <laughs> and uh, they have the same genes. So, right. uh, how can we ever imagine that people are uh, uh, born equal? We should have equal rights for everyone, but I don't think we should treat everyone equally. Yeah, the idea about should, uh, <clears throat> the idea about Finland and Norway and Sweden always being brought up. I mean, those are market economies, right? Even the Denmark prime minister said a couple years back when somebody cited Denmark as an example of a socialist state-run economy, and he's like, "This is a market economy." You know, just because they tax more and socialize more services than the U.S. does, like healthcare is always the example that's brought up. That doesn't mean that they're a socialist planned economy. Uh, there's there's a huge difference. Uh, you know, the the size of government can vary. It can get bigger and it can get smaller. And that becomes an argument of whether or not you think the government is a better capital allocator. Do you think the people in government are better at health care than the private sector? Yes or no? And if you think yes, well, then you say, all right, well, we want the government to get a little bit bigger and kind of absorb some of the uh, of the health care industry. But a true socialist planned economy I mean, has control over everything. You know, communism, what you're talking about, the means of production, everything is controlled by the government. And so what it does is it creates a much larger gap between, first off, it creates less choice and a poor quality of products and services for uh, people. But 
it uh, it creates an even bigger gap between, like you said, the small majority in power, uh, or even a small minority that winds up in power, uh, and and the majority. And this is also too like reminds me of the folly of people that say, all right. Well, we should just have a popular vote in the country, and we shouldn't have the electoral college, you know. And and we're yep. s- we're set up as a representative republic to have the electoral college for a reason, you know. And that's ostensibly, if you had a three hundred million people turn out to vote, and you had uh, you know one hundred and fifty million and one person uh, vote one way, and one hundred and forty nine million nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine other people vote the other way. Well, then all of a sudden, you know, you tip the scales completely in one direction and the, you know, the whole, right. the whole other half of the country winds up screwed. And so that the way that the country is set up with having the three branches of government and the checks and balances and, you know, the uh, Senate and the House and, you know, these things are set up like this for a reason, um, specifically to avoid huge swings of power moving from one direction or the other. Um, so, the, you know, the idea of of revoking the electoral college would do way more harm than good that just it just reminded me of that i'm sorry no you're not getting all i just remember reading not only was denmark i'm mad i'll use the word pissed off because that's uh more like what it was the the scandinavian countries were pissed off when people started saying they were socialist they're not socialist and anybody that knows that they're not socialist uh is kind of uh kind of irritated just by the notion that uh that they're they're socialistic countries yes they have socialist programs so do we in fact uh uh what could be more socialist than than giving away you know the last what are we over the last year and a half we've given away four trillion dollars look uh i don't mind having that money come into my (laughs) bank account but uh i can't imagine that this is good for the country and uh, now uh, we're uh, potentially seeing the the bad results of that. Uh, Biden has uh, decided he wants to uh, raise taxes. Well, gosh, even Joe now realizes somebody's got to pay for all these giveaways, and uh, I'm afraid that that is going to hit our highest and our wealthiest people the hardest. And shoot these are people that don't need to stay in this country like the rest of us. These are people that can leave. They can go find happier tax havens. Right. And they will. uh, Yeah. And look what's happening in California. California with its uh, uh, open season on on wealthy people, uh, they're, hell, must uh, just moved out of California, and they're taking their businesses with them. They don't need California. They don't need those high taxes. And uh, unfortunately, here in Florida, uh, we're seeing the people that destroyed California and New York coming here because they don't like what's turned out. Right. So now probably they'll destroy Florida, uh, and uh, then those that can move will have to move to some other state or country uh, that treats them fairly. Look, it's, I it's think like they, it's like they've I never heard having, of the concept of a regressive tax. It's like it just doesn't even exist to them. They just want to keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And now you're seeing the results in California like you're talking about. And it still doesn't seem to be clicking with anybody, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know why it hasn't hit. And in Portland, good Lord. How much longer uh, are people living in Portland going to allow 
that city to be destroyed. Uh, you know, it's costing them millions and millions of dollars. Fortunately, I don't have to pay taxes in Oregon. Now, I know Joe wants to, to um, you know, help pay for all the destruction from the riots. You know, I remember the 1960s. They were going to send us to Vietnam to fight a war uh, that a lot of us didn't believe in. Uh, they were uh, sending uh, minorities there, and a lot of us were outraged at this. And uh, we got to the streets, and 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 we protested that. Uh, so I feel like, gosh, there was a time when you should protest. And today, it seems like uh, people are are protesting, and, and they don't even know why they're protesting. Um, I honestly. Uh, we we have so many freedoms now, and I'm and that is a good thing. I, I th you asked me what's good. Well, gay marriage has been great. Uh, you know the the freedoms um, that I see being given to whole groups of people uh, has has been fantastic. Um, I just hate to see the opposite happening where. Uh, we're, we're we being uh, male, white males are uh, somehow being associated with people that were white and male that lived 150 years ago. Right. Uh, nobody in my family uh, ever uh, owned slaves, and you know what? Um, the I guess the they weren't even in this country <laughs> at least uh, half the side of my family wasn't I, i'm italian so uh, you know it's it's hard for me uh, uh it's hard for a lot of people to take responsibility uh for something that happened that long ago all we could do is say it was wrong and let's make it better and make it right yeah and i don't i don't see people out there that don't want to condemn it Right. I mean, it, it, you know, white supremacy to me would be people that don't want to condemn our past and, you know, somehow justify it and say, all right, well, you know, it was a horrifying time where, you know, horrifying things took place. And, you know, that that's been the case with the history of humankind. I mean, atrocities have been taking place for thousands of years and and you know going forward unfortunately will continue to probably take place and that I mean the best that we can do I think is to try to understand it as as much as possible which we need free speech to be able to do we need free speech to be able to understand our history and to do what we can do to try to avoid slipping into those pitfalls going forward and, 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 you know, to some degree, that justifies being proactive about equality and, and being proactive about uh, all of the things that we talk about. But it's just, I think, important that people understand that it can be overdone. It can be yep. overdone to a degree that becomes debilitating. And and I don't know. I mean, it is maybe, being overdone. Maybe it's I'm not sorry, because I'm some it. deep, critical thinker. You know, listen, when I was when I was like in my twenties, okay, I used to listen to punk rock and ska music and I still do. And I liked punk rock, pop punk music and ska music because it was, it was simple, you know, it was melodic uh -huh. and it uh -huh. was fun to sing along to, and it was easy to dance to, and it put me in a good mood and I just liked it. And I remember when emo yep. became a thing and emo music was like this offshoot of punk rock music where 
you know, the lyrics were a little bit deeper and the songs were a little bit longer and the time signatures were a little bit more complex and the instrumentation varied and things were a little bit more theatrical. And that was cool, too. I was all right with some of that. And then, you know, that offshoot kind of kept going and going and going. And that kind of shot out into, you know, math rock and all these other crazy fucking genres of music. And at one point, I remember just being in my 20s and somebody gave me something to listen to. I can't remember what the hell it was. But, you know, some obscure indie fucking, you know, super well thought out, musically accomplished, complex fucking, bleh, like, you know, <laughs> magnum opus of a of a punk rock album. And I listened to it and, you know, maybe like two minutes of the first song was just an introduction and synth noises. And it was like, oh, my fucking God, like what happened to music? Like, what is all this shit? You know, and I was thinking then, like, all right, it's possible. Dude, when Tom DeLonge, who was the lead singer of Blink-182, left that band, and that was a band that, Mark, I don't know if you know or not, but that was a band that played, like, three-minute-long punk rock songs about fucking girls and, like, fart jokes and, you know, getting a boner, standing in the middle of math class and, like, very childish, petulant, like, skate punk, which is why people Uh loved it. And when Tom DeLonge left that band, he put out this big statement that was, like, to start this other band called Angels and Airwaves. Like, please, everybody stand back while I try to give you more than punk rock, but, you know, a a full aesthetic musical (laughs) experience. It's like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, People just liked you because you just played good punk rock songs. Like, just do that shit. Like, you don't have to fucking overthink things, you know? Like, you don't need to be remembered as the fucking Picasso of your, of your, you know, punk rock generation. Like, sometimes the answers are just simple. And they don't require, like, all this big, long, drawn-out bullshit. And I know for a lot of people, myself included, like, that's why I stopped liking Tom DeLonge. I was like, what the fuck is with this guy? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's all this pretentious, sanctimonious, ego-driven crap. And I feel like, unfortunately, there is some of that now when we think about how to address some of these social problems. Like, yes. we're just overdoing it a little bit. And that's just what it feels like. And we all want equality. Everybody wants equality, Mark. Everybody, I don't hear anybody going, oh, boy, this equality thing's a bad idea. Right. I don't hear anybody. I mean, people, uh, I don't know. You'd think if if racism was running wildly that that I would have a lot of friends, uh, you know, uh, saying terrible things. It never happens. In fact, every – I can't remember a run-in with a a person of color – uh, that wasn't that wasn't good um, from from both sides. They treated me nicely. I, I've treated them nicely. You know, when you're shopping or you're with a, I mean, I I don't see any rudeness or I mean, I think maybe that's a good thing that's come about. Everybody's sort of like you know walking on eggshells to to try not to be an asshole. Well, which if is you go back the way we should be too. If you go back and look at our last podcast, there was, uh, cause I was looking at it on YouTube, you know, one of the first comments like, Oh, two white men talking about race. Like that's where I turned it off. It's like, oh. okay, but oh, like, yeah. isn't that the opposite of what it is yeah. they are advocating yeah. for? Too like, bad. 
we're just trying to have a little discussion, you know? Like, I don't yeah. know. And to your point... Well, you see how you're discounted, though. I mean, that's how they silence people. They discount them. I don't know. Oh, yeah, well. but I'm not discounted anywhere else. Like, when I... Like, what you just said, right? Like, when I get on the bus, okay, and the bus that I ride, like, if I'm going from one end of the city to the other, goes through all different types of neighborhoods, and there's sure. many different people that ride the bus. What am I? I'm a 38-year-old balding guy with tattoos. I'm in, you know, I'm in the spectrum somewhere of people that ride the bus. There's young, you know, college students that are going to Penn that ride the bus. There's people that live at fucking 23rd and Venango that ride that same bus that's up in North Philly. Socioeconomically, there's differences. Uh, racially, there's differences. Gender-related, there's differences. But, like, when I get on the bus and I sit down next to somebody and they start talking to me about fucking whatever, the weather or doing laundry that day or whatever the topic is on the, on, you know, the SEPTA bus that day, same thing with the subway. When I get on the subway and somebody wants to make conversation with me, there doesn't seem to be any consideration as to what race or gender anybody is in the city. Everybody kind of just goes about their lives together. I I don't know. And, and I've, I'd like to go ahead. No, I apologize. I I didn't interrupt you. I thought you were finished, but I I just want to point out that, um, white, two white guys, uh, that's, that's a race. (laughs) Sorry, but white is a race, at least in the minds of most people. So why are we not allowed to talk about race? Why why would someone say, well, this is just two white guys talking about race? Well, in other words, it sounds to me like they're trying to say um, any opinion that a white person might have uh, is not worth uh, me listening to. That's too bad. And I suspect it was written probably by another white person. Yeah, yeah, it is too bad. It's just because as a libertarian... And as, I don't know, I just want people to be happy. And I want people to have opportunity. And, you know, I I want the playing field to be equal the way that it should be. I want equality of opportunity. I just think when we start with equality of outcome and we work backwards, we get into a lot of pretzels that might do more harm than good. I think it's gotten so bad, Chris, that I'm just happy if me and my children aren't discriminated against or my children and I are not discriminated against. That's how I feel right now. I feel like it's gotten to be that bad. I was going to uh, just tell you a couple of things. Can I switch back to the socialism and uh, sure. just for a minute? Uh, sure. Uh, I, uh, I had the opportunity in my career to, to work on volcanoes at when, uh, Russia was still the USSR, and I'm I'm sorry um, that our our young of today uh, can't go back and see how the USSR was. Now I know that these same people don't think that was communism, but a lot of people also don't know that Lenin actually went and learned Marxism from the man. And then went back to Russia and tried to set up Marxism there. So I, I suspect that it's kind of hard to argue 
that uh, Russia was at least not attempting to develop a Marxist state. So all this argument about uh, the USSR not being true communism is just a way of deflecting its failure. And I, I like to say some of the things that happen when, when, you, when you create everybody as equal, one, the first thing I noticed in that country was that the customer works for the person that's working. So if everybody's hired and everybody works, everybody then tries to make their job as easy as possible. So you end up doing things like this, where I went to, uh, I had to fly from Moscow out to the Far East, which is a 10-hour flight on the most dangerous planes ever made, the Aeroflot. And uh, and they're and they're made that way because nobody gives a shit uh, about their work in a in a society where where merit isn't honored, where doing a good job isn't respected, and so you get into this weird world where uh, they have a line uh, where where you sign up to to buy a ticket, and I guess I spent about. 45 minutes in the first line and then I had to go to the second line and that's where you paid so I waited in that line for more than an hour and I paid for my ticket and then I got believe it or not I got in a third line uh, where I actually uh, they gave they gave me the ticket after I paid for it so in each one of those cases everybody had been set up to uh, to help all the customers were literally working for the people behind uh, in in a weird sort of way. The best example of that was in Moscow. We were out in the field for uh, two or three weeks, and we got back to Moscow, and my uh, Soviet uh, partner at the time, a researcher, uh, had forgotten. You had to make a reservation at any restaurant uh, there uh, 24 hours in advance. So he had forgotten to make a reservation. He said, well, let's go there. Maybe they'll let us in. And we went there, and I looked in, and I went, oh, yeah, it's empty. You know, this will be great. Uh, we'll, I think there were two or three uh, couples in there. And, you know, they would not let us in. And uh, the, the reason was they were trying to clean up. But it was a couple hours before they closed, so we knew, you know, that that wasn't it. And, and they simply, even though there were places to sit, would not allow us in that restaurant. The funny thing happened because capitalism had come to uh, Moscow. This was about 1990. Uh, I guess about, yeah, it was 1991. And uh, uh, Pizza Hut had just opened in Moscow. And uh, so we said, okay, let's go to Pizza Hut. They had two lines in Pizza Hut. They had one for people that bought with rubles and one uh, for the people that had dollars. Well, I had dollars, so we we got in the short line. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that that's what I want, but I am saying that that whole that whole incident with uh, the restaurant goes to show you how communism really works. If you want the state to run your system, then communism is for you. And how many of us want um, uh, uh, the the state running our our government, our our our, our system of government. I mean, it's fine. Um, look at the post office. It's fine if they screw up the post office because you know I'll get a I'll get a letter 
you know, that might be a day late. But it's not okay to screw up the way they have for our vets with medicine. But uh, I wouldn't want to go uh, to a veterans hospital, would you? Um, and and yet these are the people that should be treated uh, uh, the best are are our war vets, and yet uh, they have to go to these hospitals where they wait in line for months. And and I'm hearing that it hasn't gotten any better, even though people were dying waiting. So it's a pet it's a pet peeve, but. Uh, these young people don't know what they're asking for. They think it's going to just be all euphoria uh, to have communism and uh, a socialistic system. Mom. And I find very interesting that the people that want this seem to be the laziest people I know. Right, right. So, that does seem to be the case. I want to ask you uh, one more question because as a geologist, I'm interested in your in your take. I mean – to me, in order to further a lot of the uh, far left uh, policy prescriptions that are being batted around here in this administration and have been prior to that, but in order to kind of justify those, inequality is often used. Um, but also, too, I find that climate change is also being used and I want to kind of get your take as a geologist on that. I mean, do you think that our response lately, I mean, do you think the Biden administration's response to climate change has been uh, adequate, inadequate, you know, overdone, not not done enough? I mean, and and do you think that it's being used as kind of a, a lever to push other things forward? Or do you think that being mindful of it um, – is important and should be driving our decisions. Uh, I feel, uh, I feel like being a scientist. I've written a um, um, chapter in my book. Uh, are you still there? Can't I couldn't hear you? Oh, okay, there you are. Yeah, I can hear you. I have a chapter in my book on global warming. Uh, I, I give a lecture uh, in my classes on global warming. And I – so I, I have studied global warming for years. And uh, I, I think uh, that there's no question uh, that the planet is warming. Uh, but uh, I, there's some caveats here uh, that we should consider. And, and that is um, that we have, unfortunately, a group of hysterical environmentalists that make outrageous claims such as uh, we only have now, I guess, I guess AOC would say we only have 10 more years to live. And uh, these, are, these are really outrageous claims in the sense that they, they're just meant to scare people, uh, particularly our young. Uh, we we have a problem, but uh, it's 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 not necessarily a problem um, that is going to destroy the world. And you know, for example, I just read False Alarm not too long ago. Uh, you know, this whole polar bear thing it, it's been it's been made up. There aren't polar bears dying. In fact, uh, polar bears have doubled 
in their numbers over the last uh, five or ten years. Uh, and yet, you know, the polar bear has now become a sign of how the planet is dying. So I just, I think we have a, a media that uh, is inclined to report terrible things uh, rather than because they sell more, more news uh, than they are uh, positive things. If I had anything to say, it would be that, first of all, humans are animals. We are part of nature. And what we do uh, is natural. I don't know any, I don't know any other way to say that. So uh, humans are affecting the planet. But humans also probably have the technology to uh, reverse any of those huge uh, problems that might occur. Now, a lot of people would say I'm naive, but I see no reason to be going off of fossil fuels. The United States is now the number one, or at least it was recently, the number one producer of oil and gas due to fracking. So our technology has made us the world's biggest producer of oil and gas. We're no longer dependent on the Arab countries, and yet we have a whole group, seemingly the majority of America, that wants to take uh, our country that has this wonderful technology. They want to take it and they want to get rid of fossil fuels and spend huge amounts of money on things like windmills, which kill lots of birds and make lots of noise, and for and for a lot of us are uh, pretty unsightly. So, you know, I'd like people to consider that side of it. I think also that uh, carbon dioxide, there's no way you're going to get people to stop using uh, natural uh or I should say fossil fuels because people cheat. Um, yes, China and India say they want to have uh, get off of fossil fuels, and I think that they are making some effort to do that. Apparently, we have to pay them, if you believe the Paris Court. So we have to pay the Chinese and the Indians to stop using fossil fuels, and we <laughs> have already – done more to get off of fossil fuels than they will probably ever do. Right. And yet, uh, somehow, we're the bad guys. So, uh, what I guess I'm trying to say is is that we are going to literally destroy our economy when we may actually be uh, on the verge of uh, creating the technology that would help us with global warming. So, why stop, uh, why stop the American economy uh, from being a world leader and keeping us down uh, to get clean energy when we could uh, stay on fossil fuel and uh, hope for better technologies. You're not going to do it through carbon dioxide. There's no way. Uh, there's no way that these countries that have become free trade organizations uh, and sell everything they can to America, you're not going to get them uh, to go back on uh, fossil fuel go off of fossil fuels it's insanity and the Paris uh, Accord was um, was just a way that people could say okay we're trying to make it better nobody's actually making it better um, and it's costing us more uh, the more we try well, so and, and yes when, when people think about fossil fuels too they think about 
the worst examples. They think about the Exxon Valdez oil oh. spill, which was a terrible natural, oh, right. not natural yeah. disaster. It was a human-made disaster. You know, they think about, uh, you know, they think about the oil wells spraying up out of the ground and the guys yep. walking around with all the shit yep. on them and the coal. And those are terrible. They, are they terrible. are, and the coal miners and all that shit, you know, covered in, in uh, you know, in coal and getting sick from it. And, I mean, those are all bad things. But also, too... How are you going to manufacture the rubber and the plastic necessary to make, you know, the windmills? That stuff all comes from petroleum. Yes. Those, that, that stuff all comes from chemicals. You know, yes. it, even, the, even the word chemicals, I think, scares this shit out of some people on the left. When really chemicals are everything. Everything's a chemical. You know what I mean? Hydrogen, oxygen. I mean, everything's a chemical. You know, I think just the word chemical, I think, just scares the shit out of people. Because I don't really think people understand all the practical uses that I went back and watched, like, I don't know, a couple of years ago. I was watching all these old episodes of Bill Nye, the science guy, kind of reliving my uh, elementary school years. And he did uh-huh. he did an episode on chemicals. That was the name of the episode. And that's, that's like what he opened by saying. He's like, chemicals are everywhere. They're in your clothes. They're in the desk. They're in the computer you're using. Like, you know, so I just think we just have to, like, again, maybe a little nuance, right? Maybe just, like... Just calm down a little bit. Like, let's be practical about things too. Because, like, what you're saying that there's no, there's no point in upending the entire economy. And uh, well, you just wait. If we keep going down this trail, uh, where where we're, you know, you know, we got we've gotten pretty much off of coal, right? So gas, which is cheaper and it it uh, it pollutes less, is a godsend. And yet everybody now wants to get us off gas. It's insane. So gas may be a lifesaver. It may get us to the point where we can use technology. And there are technologies out there that they're talking about that will help us. With uh, You know, I have a lot of respect for science and engineering. uh, We're amazing people. And if there is a crisis, um, it'll be be like, uh, when do you ever hear about uh, destroying the ozone? You don't anymore. That's because technology... Uh, together with uh, a little bit of common sense, uh, stop the problem. Yeah, and same deal with COVID, right? Now, keeping aside anybody's thoughts on vaccination, when COVID started, you know, I remember having conversations with my mother when they first started talking about, oh, well, you know, Fauci was saying, all right, it's going to take us 18 months at least to develop a vaccine is that I remember was the first prediction I think back in February of 2020 it's going to be at least 18 months for a vaccine and I just remember saying to my mother you know just wait I said they'll have one they're going to have one by the holidays of this year because the entire scientific community around the world got focused on solving one problem together everybody had a vested interest in solving one problem together and i said on my podcast and i said to her that's a lot of torque that's a lot of brain you were right you know and sure as shit november rolled around or december rolled around and the phase three trials were being completed and you know here we are and it's march and we've got hundreds of millions of doses uh floating around worldwide now and and we've kind of collectively so just to speak to your point right like it's not that we're incapable of, of solving crises. And I always That's think true. about that George Carlin quote, which I've repeated many times on here, which is when he's like, you know, save the planet. The planet's going to be fine. The people are going to be fucked. You know, the planet's been here, <laughs> the planet's so been right. here for six billion years. 
And by the way, uh, the planet has gone through uh, many, many changes uh, in its temperature uh, from uh, a complete snowball Earth to an Earth, you know, hundreds of times warmer than it is today. So uh, I, I don't know. It just seems to me that nobody understands science anymore. Have you talked to our good friend uh, Graham Hancock lately? Uh, uh, no, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm headed out west this summer to go see, uh, the, um, you know, Gr Graham, uh, has talked a lot with, um, uh, uh Randall gosh, Carlson, Randall Carlson about, uh, the flooding that took place, uh, in the Scablands of Washington. So I, I've actually never... Uh, I've seen a couple of the places, but I've never gone out specifically to look at the localities. I'll bring back some slides, and we can talk about uh, that maybe sometime. Uh, but I'm going out there to see the flood basalts that covered Washington and do a little geologizing. Well, my poor wife, she says she likes it. I don't know how much she does, but uh, we generally have a great time. Are you going to meet with Randall? Because that was the big uh, argument you and him were having on the Rogan podcast the one time was – you know, and he actually said that to you. He said, "Have you been, have you yeah. been there?" And you said, "No." And he said, "Well, I've got ten thousand photos of it, and I've been there, you know, X amount of times." And he was saying, "Once you get there and you see the, you know, the depths of the crevices and the cord lengths and all this other geological shit, I don't understand that." You know, you had to be there essentially, is what he was saying, right? Yeah, and I have been out in that area, but I I just haven't been to some of the spectacular places he has like dry he's been to like dry falls so i'm headed to dry falls i have bjornstein's book uh he's a famous geologist who did all of the um uh, of the work out there and i ha actually took a map and pl plotted all the places i wanted to see uh related not only to uh the the flooding but also to the to the uh, gigantic flood basalts that uh, came out between seven and sixteen million years ago, and gosh, I uh, when I get back, maybe we can uh, talk about that. Maybe even uh, maybe even Carlson would come on and and uh, talk with me about it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Let's uh, yeah. let, let let's see if we can plan that. See if you can speak to him. I don't know. Are you going to link up with him while you're out there, or are you guys uh, do you correspond with him at all, or no? No, I uh, he's a. No, you know, I had some. I've had some correspondence with him. In fact, I I've also had some correspondence with Graham. I talked to him about a uh, archaeological site that I I went to. Uh, I guess it was a year and a half ago. So yeah, I, I'm I've been meaning to write Graham and tell him I'm going out there. I just haven't had a chance. So I will send Graham an email and uh, see what he thinks about it. Yeah, I'd love to have you guys you all know, on together to talk I, about it. Yeah, Graham and I are. Uh, uh, I don't know. I consider him a friend. He might still be a little pissed off, but uh, he's a fine guy. And Carlson is uh, is a pretty impressive guy too. So, yeah, I'd love to to get on and talk to them about that. My objection with Graham was uh, this, um, you know, weird alien stuff that he's talking about. Not alien, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the lost civilization, right? But the geology, no, we don't have that many problems. Although I don't believe there was a great flood out there like they want to make. 
Yeah, well, I'd love to have you guys on to talk about it after your trip. If uh, if we can arrange that, that, that'd be great. But listen, I want to thank you so much for uh, taking an hour for me today. It was good to have you back on and get your thoughts. I mean, you sent me this list of things that we could have talked about, but uh, you know, we're going to save it for next time. We covered a lot today. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of hate mail just based on our the hour we put down. So we'll let that sink in, and then uh, and then maybe the next one we'll we'll focus on some of these more innocuous topics like how they discovered diamonds yeah, in northern like canada CRISPR. uh well and crispr crispr's just gonna be a fantastic thing so yeah i'd love to talk about, about it because that, that has that has implications for the investment community too so that would be an interesting oh, topic yeah, to I talk could. about next time um, all right maybe Let's we'll do, do uh maybe we'll do in a couple weeks and just get that one out of the way because i'd like to i'd like well, to put that down fun. and i know it would interest my listeners all right so new new discoveries on that end that's for sure she just won the Nobel Prize, by the way. So. Who did? Well, listen, Chris, thanks for having me on. I always enjoy talking to you. All right, Mark. It was my pleasure, buddy, and I'll speak to you soon, all right? All right. That was the one, the only Mark DeFont, who I'm guessing did not hear the last 15 seconds of that call because he just hung up on me. But it was lovely to speak to him. Always great to have him on. We'll have him back on. He sent me this list of great topics talking about CRISPR, talking about how they discovered diamonds, why computer algorithms for ranking teams in sports are so powerful, how America's become the leading producer of gas and oil. I guess we talked about that anyways. But a uh, fascinating guy and love hearing his opinion. Got a couple of nice things lined up for the rest of March, but thank you guys so much for continuing to support the podcast through Patreon. But for right now, I am the fuck out. Peace. <laughs>